You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Today, we're launching into a new three-week series, and the series is called Love Like Jesus. Um, If you were to do a, a search on Amazon, Amazon Books, you would find that there is a a large variety, a host of books that have been written and the subject matter has to do with something about like Jesus, being like Jesus. In fact, you would find titles like uh, Lead Like Jesus, Think Like Jesus, Live Like Jesus, Walk Like Jesus, um, Lead Your Family Like Jesus, uh, Meditate Like Jesus, Uh, argue like Jesus and uh, market like Jesus. These are all real titles. I did the search and these are all real titles that I found and there were there were many more. In my search there was one title missing. Um, It's not that the book hasn't been written. I'm sure that it has. I just didn't find it in my search and the title that I found missing was a book that was called Love Like Jesus. Again I'm sure it's been written but I didn't find it in my search and you know what doesn't really matter. Because we do have a book, right? We have a book that's been written that tells us how to love like Jesus. And we know that that book is the Bible. Um, In the Bible, Jesus provides us with a model that answers questions like, what does love really look like? What does true love look like? Or how do I truly love another person? How do I love my wife? How do I love my husband? How do I love my children? How do I love my neighbor? How do I love my friend? How do I love my enemy? And not only does the Bible set up the standard for love, but the Bible actually um, commands us to love. It's not just, hey, here's here's something you could think about, but there's actually a command, and it's actually an expectation. Listen to this. Let me give you some verses. In John 15, 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. John 15, 12 says, My commandment is this, Love each other as I have loved you. John 15, 17, This is my command. Love each other. You see, the standard, the expectation has been set. And finally, John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think we should all be able to agree that love is the identifying quality of Christ followers. If there's anything that we should be known for, it's how we love. Love is to be the distinguishing spiritual characteristic that sets us apart. It's how we love. It's how we express the love of Jesus that's in us that draws people to the Jesus in us. We've been talking about Jesus being drawn, or people being drawn to the Jesus in us in our last series. And so it's how we love, how we love the world, how we love our neighbor, how we love our friends, how we love our enemies. Uh, Those are the things that that's what should set us apart. And so people are drawn to the Jesus in us. Um, The Jesus in us, I think we all recognize this, is the Son of God. And the Bible makes it very clear that God is love. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Very simple verse. Um, Jesus, as the Son of God, is the full embodiment of love. Here's how we know this. The Bible also makes it clear that Jesus is the exact image of his Father. 
If God is love and Jesus is the exact image of his father, that means that he is the full embodiment of love. Everything we need to know about love comes from Jesus. Jesus came uh, as God's son. He came as his representative. And as he came to earth, he came really as an ambassador of love. And as, as an ambassador of love, he came as the perfect model for love. Um, he, he, uh, he came to show us how to love. And I feel certain, I'm, I'm certain in saying this, that God, because he knew of our sinful nature, because of he knew of our inclination of sin, he knew that we needed someone who would actually model for us what does true love, what is perfect love, what does love look like? And we know that someone is Jesus. In fact, uh, in the three years of Jesus' public ministry, um, Jesus revealed the love of God. Jesus revealed the love of God to us. How did he do it? Well, in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus demonstrated the love of God by coming to save us. It was as if Jesus said, um, I know that you are spiritually sick and that you were separated from God. And I know that you are not perfect. In fact, you are far from it. But God loves you. I know that because he loves me and I'm going to love you in the same way that God has loved me. I'm going to love you even though you're still separated from God in your sin. I'm going to love you while you're in that condition so that you can be reconciled to God. He loved us while we were still sinners. That's how he revealed God's love for us. He died for us. He died in our place. He saved us. Um, In the three years of his public ministry, he also displayed the love of God. He displayed the love of God. And one of the greatest displays of the love of God, in my opinion, is as Jesus hung on the cross. Think about it. As Jesus hung on the cross after being whipped and beaten, nails placed in his hands, nails placed in his feet, blood streaming down, the onlookers ridiculing him, the onlookers mocking him, a criminal by his side challenging him. In the midst of that, when he had every opportunity to take offense, when he had every opportunity to take on something and begin to nurse a grudge, even while on the cross, even while he was on the cross and he had every opportunity to hold unforgiveness in his heart, instead, on behalf of those onlookers, on behalf of the criminal beside him, on behalf of everyone who was there ridiculing him and mocking him, uh, on behalf of the ones who had taken the nails and placed in his feet, in his hands, he said this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. So in that, he displayed God's love. And because of that, we have a model that um, teaches us that when we've been ridiculed, when we've been mocked, when things aren't going our way, when other people are mistreating us, that in the same way that Jesus didn't begin to nurse a grudge, that we have a model that says, I don't have to do it either. But instead, 
I'm going to forgive. And I want to say this morning that I'm the first to say that's not always easy. When you've had someone um, do you wrong, um, it's very easy to hold on and to nurse a grudge. And I'll make a confession to you this morning. And in this, uh, I realize this again, even in prepping this message. Um, I don't come before you as perfect. Um, I think you know that. You've seen me enough to know that I, I mess up. But um, even in this, in this point where, where you would forgive those uh, who have, who have some, in some way, uh, where there was a reason to take offense um, in, in my own life. Right now, there's an individual not associated with Grace Covenant or East Lincoln Campus in any way, but from the past. And I've been working for a couple of years to say, Father, how do I forgive this person? How do I love this person? What, what do I do? And, and I know the answer. It's not that I don't have the answer, but instead it's making it work in my life. So the application is much harder. But that doesn't cancel the fact that we have, we have the model. We have the example. And I think that's why the third thing that Jesus showed us from his public ministry is so important is that in his public ministry, Jesus empowered us to love others. Jesus empowered us to love others. So when we find ourselves dealing with those people that um, we would consider to be, uh, in our estimation, unlovable, uh, when we're dealing with people who have, um, that we think it, you know, you're just impossible to love. When we're, when we're dealing with people who have um, somehow, uh, we've suffered abuse mentally or spiritually, uh, emotionally, that even in the midst of that, we still have a model. Um, we, we can look to Jesus and, and in the same way, that he has displayed and he has revealed the love of God, we, we have the ability, even when it seems impossible to love this person, that we can realize that God has empowered us through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, that we can step into a situation that we thought, this is impossible, I can't love, and suddenly the Holy Spirit can, can bring about a change in your heart, and suddenly a person that you felt animosity for and you felt you couldn't love, you begin to feel empathy for, you begin to feel compassion for, you begin to realize that there's something greater going on, that the problem was that they weren't rejecting me, they weren't ridiculing me, but there's something going on in their life, and we begin to pray for them and say, God, would you help them? Would you show them? And would you show them through me? Would you teach me how to love them? And I confess, that's a point that I need to get to with one individual. And I will. I will. I'm just being real with you this morning. Uh, because we're all in a process. We're all in a journey. In Ephesians 5, uh, 1, 1, it says, Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We have the example. Jesus has set the example for us. Um, One of the most powerful examples that I believe we have of what it means to love like Jesus uh, is a story found in John chapter 13. And I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles your phones, your tablets, uh, ever how you get there. And if you would open your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, uh, we find the story 
of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. I'm going to read the story to you. And then um, I want to, after I read it, I want to, to attempt to place us in the room where Jesus and the disciples were that night. I want us, I want us to somehow, uh, exp- uh, in a, at least in our imaginations, experience what was going on. So let me begin reading in John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash, your, wash you, you have no part with me. Then, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So what I'd like to do again is I'd like to just take just a few minutes and I want to try to place us in the room that night during the Passover meal. So in order to do that, I want to begin by just giving a a little bit of the backstory. In Matthew chapter 26, uh, we read that uh, two disciples went to Jesus and asked the question about the Passover meal. Where uh, Where do we prepare the Passover meal? In Luke chapter 22, we learned that those two disciples were Peter and John. And then when we look in uh, uh, Mark, the 14th chapter of Mark, we find some more insight, some more of the details. And here's what we find in Mark chapter 14. Peter and John go to Jesus and they said, Jesus, where would you like for us to prepare the Passover meal? And uh, this was Jesus' response. He said, I want you to go into the city. When you get to the city, you're going to find a man who's going to be carrying a jug of water. I want you to follow him to his home. When you arrive at his home, I want you to say this, the master asked, where is your guest room so that he can eat the Passover meal with his disciples? Whatever room he shows you, that's where I want you to go and prepare for the Passover meal. Um, So they find the room. Now let's talk a little bit about the setup that was going to happen in that room. Let me ask, how many of you have seen some kind of rendering of Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper painting? Raise your hand. Isn't it beautiful? It is an incredible piece of art that is entirely wrong. It is entirely wrong. 
the, the supper that happened that night in, in, the, in the Passover room, in that upper room, uh, was not a, a, a high table on legs with chairs on one side so that the uh, disciples and Jesus could pose for a selfie. That was not what was going on. It was completely different. Again, a great piece of artwork, but it is completely wrong. Let me tell you what was really going on in that room. Uh, When you came into that room, what you would have found is a table that was very low to the ground. It would have had three sides. It was U-shaped, and it was called a triclinium. And around that triclinium, around that U-shaped table, instead of chairs, there would have been cushions and low sofas on which the men would have reclined. They would have actually kind of laid down as they were having the meal that night. There was a customary seating order. The guest who came into that room that night would have been seated in order of, 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 of importance. And so we find some insight from Scripture of how that went. What we know is that the first seat, the customary seating, the first seat was um, for the guest of honor. And I think it's in Matthew uh, 26, we find that the guest of honor was Judas. Think about this. Judas, the man whom Jesus knew was going to betray him, was placed in the seat of honor. The second seat at this table would have been for the host. Jesus was the host for the evening. So we have Judas and we have Jesus. And the third seat would have been for a beloved friend. And so when we look in John chapter 13, we realize that John, the disciples who Je- the disciple who Jesus loved, was sitting there. So we have Judas, we have Jesus, and we have John. The remaining disciples would have been placed around that table in some kind of ranking of importance. And if you go all the way to the other side of the table... Uh, the, the, the far use, the leg of the table, uh, that last seat was serve, saved for the servant. And Scripture helps us to know that it was Peter that was sitting there. So we have Judas, we have Jesus, we have John the beloved disciple, we have the other disciples all the way around to Peter. The seating arrangement created a problem that night. We have to imagine that this was customary, this was traditional. So all of the disciples understood what was going to happen, how they were going to be seated uh, in the room that night. So uh, you can imagine that the disciples, knowing that, found themselves rushing into the room, hoping to be positioned in a place of honor. They were looking for position. It was very selfish in how they came into the room because they were looking that they might be closest to Jesus that night. And this this position uh, seeking, this wanting to be placed in 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 a prominent position caused a problem in the room that night. You know what the problem was? There was a room of very dirty feet. There were dirty feet. You see, in the setup, Peter and John should have brought in a servant the servant would have been responsible for washing the feet of the guest who came that night. But Peter and John did not secure a servant. And so what happened, as these men walked through that door that night, um, customary, what would have happened is somewhere along the door, there would have been a hook, and on that hook, there would have been a towel. And by that towel, there would have been a wash basin. 
And that wash basin was for the washing of the feet of the guests. So that night it would have been for the washing of the disciples' feet. And that towel would have been there to dry off their feet. And every single one of those men who came into the room that night, as they were rushing, because we know from the story, not one of those men washed the feet. Jesus is the one who washed the feet. Each one of those men came in, and as they rushed in, they walked right past the towel on the hook. They walked right past the, the basin, and they... They went to where they believed that they should sit. I would imagine as they sat, there was some of them, maybe Jesus said, no, you're not going to sit there. You're going to sit here. Oh, you need to move over here. Come up here. Uh, Peter, actually, Peter, you're all the way over here at the end. This is your place, Peter. I'm sure that there was some confusion in the room. And so what happened um, in Scripture tells us this, that as the disciples sat around the table, there was an argument that arose between them. And the argument was, who is going to be the most important in the kingdom of heaven? And while they were arguing over about, uh, 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 about importance, this is what was happening. Jesus got up from his place. Jesus sitting right here. He got up. He walks over to the doorway. He takes the towel. He wraps it around his waist. He takes the basin. And he begins to go from disciple to disciple, washing their feet. So let's think about this. Jesus took the basin, towel wrapped around him. Who was sitting here? Judas. Jesus kneels down and he begins to wash the feet of Judas. The scripture says Jesus knowing all things. He knew, he knew that Judas was going to betray him. But despite that, he kneels down and he washes his feet and he takes the towel and he dries it because he loved him. He was demonstrating the Father's love. And think about it. Jesus would have went to the feet of Thomas. Thomas who doubted him after his resurrection. Jesus, knowing all things, knew that Thomas was going to doubt him. And Jesus kneels before Thomas, and he takes the water from the basin, and he begins to wash those dirty feet, and he takes the towel, and he dries it. He dries those feet. And then he rises up, and he makes his way eventually to Peter. Peter, who was going to deny him three times that same night. Jesus knowing all things. Jesus already knew this. And he kneels before Peter, knowing that he was going to deny him. And he takes the water from the basin and he begins to wash his feet. And then he takes the towel and he dries it. And then he takes the towel off. He puts his robe back on and he goes back to his seat. And in doing so, he looks at them and he says, I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done to you. What was he doing? He was loving them. They were arguing. They were caught up in themselves. And Jesus in the midst of that, knowing about betrayal, knowing about doubt, knowing about denying, he loves all of those disciples as he serves them by washing their feet. When he says do the same way, in my opinion, in my interpretation, I don't interpret it as Jesus saying you need to have consistent foot washing services. That's okay. I've had people wash my feet before and I've washed other people's feet. It's a very humbling experience. But that we are to love, we are to serve in the same way that Jesus did. 
See, I think that that's the most powerful example when we say, what does it mean to love like Jesus? That we learn to serve others in humility, no matter what it takes. No matter what we might already know about them, we would still, rather than holding a grudge, rather than nursing a grudge, we would say, Holy Spirit, help me. I'm confessing this isn't easy, but I'm going to somehow, in my heart, in my spirit, I'm going to serve this person. And it probably won't literally be through washing their feet. But the Holy Spirit will provide you a way. So what's our takeaway from this? What's our takeaway from this story? You have these in your notes. Loving like Jesus means that love moves beyond titles and positions. Loving like Jesus means that love moves beyond titles and positions. Titles and positions can gain recognition, but titles should never limit our service to others. The greater our title, the greater the opportunity we have to love others and serve others. Here's a second takeaway. Loving like Jesus means that love has a bias to action. Love is inclined to action. While the disciples were arguing, what did Jesus do? He moved into the action of love. He got up from his seat and he did what none of them did. Not one of those disciples served another one that night. Because they were self-focused. Jesus moved to action. And in his action, he demonstrated love. Third takeaway. Loving like Jesus means that love is a willingness to serve even your greatest enemy. This is what God's working out in me. I, I made a statement to my wife probably about three weeks ago. We were talking about this situation. And I said, yeah. Uh, I I think I still have some work to do. I think the Lord's working on me. And I made a statement, and Jesus says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still working on you. Yeah. And so I confess, I'm a work in process. But I have every... I I know I've already been empowered. I just need to move into the action of loving. And I don't know what that'll look like. It doesn't mean that I become that person's best friend. It doesn't mean that I pal around with them, but it means something happens in my heart, the action of love, where I release them, because I'm not really holding them prisoner. Who am I holding prisoner? I'm holding me prisoner. Another takeaway. Loving like Jesus means that love puts others ahead of your own agenda. Servants think of others, not themselves. They're not looking for ways to make themselves great but opportunities to love and to serve others. So let me ask you this morning, when we think, when we reflect back to the the story, the example of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, I would ask you this morning, are you ready to take up the towel and love? Are you ready to take up the towel and serve? Let me ask it this way. Are you ready to take up the towel and love and some love and serve someone whom you felt is unlovable? Can you move in that direction? The answer for all of us is yes because we've already been empowered by the Holy Spirit. He will show us how to do it. And we can do it. Listen, we can anticipate it. That's the word the Lord's giving us this morning. Let's anticipate it. So with that, would you stand? I want to pray for you.
Father, this morning we remember that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And we remember, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, thank you for your love that has been revealed to us. And thank you for the love that you've empowered us to give. Father God, I pray that we would be a people who are willing to take up the towel and love in the same way that Jesus has loved. I pray that we would have a greater revelation of what that means. I pray that we would understand what love really is because we look at it through the eyes, through the filter, through the life of Jesus. And so where there are those difficult, challenging situations where we find that there's someone unlovable, when we think it's impossible to love, that we would have that work of the Holy Spirit working in us so that there's a change and we find our heart and our attitude changed and we find ourselves with compassion and empathy and love for a person that we considered unlovely, unlovable. Father God, we ask for your spirit to help us in this, I pray. And I I speak a blessing over this people as they go today. I pray that you bless them with divine health. I pray that you prosper them in every way. I pray that they know your love in a way they've never experienced before. I pray that they know you more and more and more. And I pray that they anticipate more and more and more. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.